Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of Make Her Space, a podcast about women who dare. Hear inspiring interviews with South Coast entrepreneurs and artisans who've carved out their own spaces and share the challenges and rewards of their often unexpected journeys. Brought to you by The Standard Times and SouthCoastToday.com. And now, here's your host, Barbara Lomonaco. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Make Her Space. I'm Barbara Lamonica, your host, and I'm here today with Meredith Brower. I'm so excited to chat with Meredith. Meredith is an artist, a photographer, a graphic designer. In particular, she's an eco-artist, and she lives in Tiverton, Rhode Island. Um, either I'm in her neck of the woods or she's in my neck of the woods. But welcome, Meredith. Good morning. Um, I'm really enthralled by the design of your work and I know you through your mandala photography but we've also had some conversations about how you got started in photography and I'd love to kind of hear the journey like many of my guests you do a lot of different things um, workshops festival organizer photographer and so today we'll just unpack some of those things okay sure Um, well I grew up in Tiverton on this beautiful vegetable farm and um the light was always just absolutely stunning there so I started taking classes in high school um really liked it and was I guess pretty good at it because I was winning awards for you know projects and things so I decided to go to RIT Rochester Institute of Technology and I went up there and got my uh Bachelor of Fine Arts and uh when I got out I started working at a commercial photography lab in Providence called ABAR they're no longer uh a company now, but it was a great experience and I was there for 11 years. So I got the basic technical down and dirty background of like, we used to make PowerPoint presentations before PowerPoint was even uh, an app. I remember when it was slides. Yeah. I mean, physically slides that you put in a projector. Exactly. (laughs) We did all of that. Uh, We made black and white prints, color prints. We processed film. We did Duratrans. We did bus panels. uh, We did decals. It was was a great job, and I learned a ton there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm still friends with a lot of people from way, way, way back then. When you were – I passed your farm, by the way, the other day. And now I know which one it is. It could not be a more beautiful location. it's absolutely stunning. So in front of the farm is Country Road, and on the other side – side of that country road um is uh is the Connaught river yeah basically and farmland it's yep. it typifies this farm coast region mm-hmm. and then behind your farm is nonquit pond. pond yeah absolutely stunning what year was the house built uh 1892 i think Incredible. the 1800s and there's a huge historic cemetery behind the house Absolutely inspiring. from uh, the the mid-1800s. So when you were on the farm taking photographs as a kid, uh, what were your favorite things to photograph? Uh, In the morning when the sun would rise, because the whole east uh, view is all wide open, um, 
and we used to get this dew, that morning fog, because it hangs right off that part of, of town. Everything would be like dripping with dew, and then the light would come up and it would shine through. So it was always just um, nature, yeah, um, landscapes. And uh, back then we used to have the hot air balloons fly over, like out of Westport. So you would just hear this, you know, in the morning and you look up and there's people in a balloon above you. And that was always really cool. So I'd grab my camera, photograph the whole thing. Uh, And I was kind of into the the documentary of it, not knowing that that was really photography. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So between the nature and the documentary stuff um, and getting all the the education I needed up at RIT and then the hands-on experience at ABAR, um, at that point, I started going out and working for a couple of portrait photographers. So I got the interaction with people and how to photograph people. Um, a couple of years after that, I started working for the newspaper. So I got into the editorial aspect of it. Oh, wow. So there's even, you know, people say, oh, you're a photographer. What do you do? Well, there's a lot of different photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also photograph, we talked earlier about dogs. Yeah. Um, I photograph a lot of pets and a lot of dogs. And it's probably my favorite. Amazing. I have seen some of your dog portraits. And I will say that for those of us who are pet owners, we know our animals. We know the expressions they make and the dorky things that they do. Yeah. You don't have the luxury of getting to spend, uh, you know, 10 years with the pet, but you really seem to draw out yeah. that expression and character that totally captures. And I'm sure that owners say, oh my gosh, that is exactly what uh, my dog Boo-Boo looks like. <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah. Boo-Boo is... Um, <laughs> And, and it's all kinds, big dogs, little dogs, and you just really have to kind of be calm and watch for a little while. And I've noticed once they take that first yawn mm-hmm. like that, uh, then they relax, and then you can really start photographing and getting different angles. Um, there's a lot of treats involved <laughs> and uh, a lot of coaxing, but um, yeah, it's fun. So I'm covered in you know dog spit, and I'm on the floor. They're walking over me. I have dog treats in my pockets, but um, so in full disclosure, Meredith, you have been to my home, and within the first time you came to my home, within ten seconds, you were on the floor with my dogs. Yeah getting to know them yeah. and then when you came over again my cat mrs butters was so that's intrigued right. with your purse that's right that she was really trying to climb into it and so you made sure you got down <laughs> on the floor and showed her the purse right i've not i have a lot of people that come by who love animals but you might be someone who talk about getting down and dirty and like i'm gonna sit on the floor with your dog oh yeah because um, that's who i am and, when and i go to someone's a house but really what they're up to oh yeah amazing yeah yep. and i'm sure that that kind of connection is exactly what the the tools that you're using in the exactly in the photography yep that's yep. fantastic right on. yeah so when we um so in terms of your experience as a photographer you have the editorial and the technical and we talked a little bit about being inspired by nature on the farm and all of that so if we fast forward to now you are really an entrepreneur now you do some freelance work for um, newspapers still I still see your stuff oh yeah regularly yeah are there particular types of jobs that come your way as a freelancer Uh, I do a lot of corporate work Mm -hmm. um, a lot of headshots Uh, right now is high school senior sessions Uh Um, and those are a lot of fun because the teenagers will really do anything you you tell them. So you're like, you know, <laughs> their parents. Do you want to go in the water? And they're like, sure. So it's fun. a lot of fun. But again, same thing as the dogs. You know, how do you 
uh, evoke a high school senior, a teenager, to smile and, you know, let you into their personality in an hour's time. So exactly. it's the same thing. I have to get down on the floor. I have to kind of get stupid, establish entertain the them, and establish that trust a little bit. Yeah. And what's nice with digital is on the back of the camera, I can show them what I'm doing. Because um, all, they all have a tendency to do like the selfie shots. And I'm like, up front, you got to stop that. You cannot do that. This is not, you know, that whole um, sexual aspect to it. I just cut that right off because it's not part of, of these photos. That is incredible. Um, and I know exactly what you mean about yeah. the selfie shot. I mean, do you ever see pictures of yourself and you always cock your head to one way or something? I'm like, stop that. And people oh don't know that they're doing it. So I, I get to work with people and show them what's their best side, how to sit, uh, how to move, uh, how to be silly, and how to really be comfortable in front of the camera. That's amazing. And I'm sure that you have seen such a revolution in the way that you work and the way that your clients are because of this digital, um, the change, everything moving to digital. On one hand, there is this immediate gratification that you can see the work, you can share with the client the work, you can adjust the work much more easily. I remember the old days where you had to send your stuff out to the lab. But at the same time, it has created this, as you said, the whole selfie culture. Exactly. Where people want more control over their images because you can take 50 selfies and choose the best one and choose your filter yeah. and create right. who you are as a person rather than turn that over to a photographer yeah. who may see differently. Um, it is. It's an experience for them too to see how somebody else interprets them. Um, so it's a little bit of a learning experience, but it's also, it can give them a little bit of um, uh, confidence yeah. to say, you know, uh, I do like the way I look. I'm glad I dyed my hair pink, you know, um, and be accepting of what the photos are because there's I'm just documenting what's happening. I'm not fabricating. I'm not doing filters and all that. This is, this is completely 100% them. I can imagine that that would be incredibly gratifying to see yourself not as you have curated the photo, but as someone else really sees it in um, a more, um, I don't know, objective way. Yeah, because you can go to like the the school photographer and you get the same pictures everybody else does. But when you work with me and other freelancers, you get that extra style and that care and that really um, investigative documenting of what who of the person who you really are so I love it I love it so tell me a little bit about eco art and how you got interested in that I can imagine that growing up on the farm framed that experience for you in a huge way and you're very outdoorsy you're a farmer girl um so tell me a little bit about how that drew you in yeah so I grew up on the farm um I moved away for a few years uh when I was married got divorced came home to take care of my mom and I was seeing the farm in a whole different perspective much more grateful totally appreciative of this glorious farm coast land Um, because when I was younger it was like man this is home everybody lives on a farm right Uh, (laughs) well not necessarily so uh, I just started looking deeper taking the time being a little bit more mindful Um, as part of my dog walk or just to take a few minutes out of my time and notice that one of the latest mandalas I made had pink clover in it. So to look specifically at the ground beneath your feet, stuff that you walk over every day. So like when you go to the beach, for instance, you bring all the the shells home, you put them in a bottle and you put them on the shelf and that's it. Experience over. This, I'm trying to get people to extend this experience um, 
and that the materials that you find to work with them so you can bring nature and art together. Um, so explain uh, what a mandala is for people who might not be familiar so with the, the concept. If you just look up the definition of mandala, it's just a word that represents the universe. So I assumed that word for my work. Really, it's just bringing nature and art together and creating these uh, tangible, beautiful uh, compositions of of all these pieces so I photograph it mm-hmm. once I'm done with it I photograph it and it's impermanent art so you put it back where you found it you release it back to the wild or you let it dry up and blow away so the original artwork that you made is gone but you have a digital image so it's really forever and is a mandala usually circular or can it be any shape it can be any shape i'm thinking Um, typically circular but that's right like uh historically the buddhists uh mandalas were square and they had the deed at each corner so i've kind of taken the word mandala and sort of made it my own i love that yeah and so this these are all foraged um foraged things that um are from around your area and i know that uh i've seen many of your photographs and it strikes me um that they are all so completely different that you do one of these almost every day, yes. right? You photograph yeah. one almost, right. every day almost every day on your Instagram. <laughs> I look at them all the time. Yeah. And one can be so completely different than the next, depending on what materials you've used. Yes. Yeah. So um, can you recount some of the materials that you typically might use? And I, I say typically because they're all so different that <laughs> I'm not sure if there is a right. typical. Well, it depends on the day, the season, um, something that I might find during the summer because I'm on overload right now. There's so much color. There's so much popping that catches my eye. What's harder in the winter when there's dried up leaves or all you have is stones and twigs and dead stuff. Yeah. Um, It's almost more interesting because it pushes you harder to look deeper. Right Um, right now, well, I go out and uh, one thing that uh, I, I try to tell people is if you can stop your mind from judging your heart and just act on that first thought um, and grab that if that, uh, you know, caught your eye, whether it's a daffodil or um, a twig or a little curly cue on a, on a morning glory. Um, so it's sort of a two-part. It's going out and foraging and then bringing back and organizing. It's sort of deconstructing nature and then trying to organize it. Which so it sounds like the process of creating is actually a more meditative act. Exactly, you're, you're employing mindfulness as you are walking, or even just sitting and observing your natural surroundings and right. thinking about what you might collect. Yeah. So there's mindfulness in that act, and um, and then in putting it together, right. you are drawing on some creative energy, maybe some analytic energy yeah. as you think about a what, little spontaneity in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just quietly assemble stuff and let your mind just let it flow yeah. um, and not large, judge yourself. How large are these typically? I can't tell from your photographs whether it is two inches, six inches. Probably about 16, maybe 20 inches square. Yeah. Oh, so they're actually a little larger than, than yeah, I imagine. Yeah, and some of the events that we've done, uh, the events at the farm, like the summer solstice or the cacao ceremonies or Wolf Moon's Fire, the mandalas have been group efforts, and they're up between six and eight feet wide. So I'll create the framework with stones or twigs, 
pine cones, and then everybody will contribute their aspect, and it grows uh, as everybody adds to it. Incredible. Yeah. Tell me about the workshops. We haven't really touched on that. So you offer mandala workshops, not just on your farm, actually. I know that there is um, one in July in New Bedford that's an urban workshop exactly. that is just a trip. Yes. Um, but let's talk about the workshops that are on the farm. And you just mentioned uh, maybe three different kinds. Right. So they're about two hours long. Sometimes they last a little bit, bit longer because people want to linger and they don't want to leave. Uh, I'll talk about mindfulness and calming the mind and doing a little morning mantra and uh, giving yourself permission to just float around. Uh, so we go out for about a half an hour, 45 minutes, and we forage. Uh, I give you a basket and a pair of scissors, and then we come back to the barn and we create these mandals. And I give you a little... Um, guidance as to start with a square or a star or maybe a triangle speaks to you um so we do three different mandalas and then at the end of the afternoon once you finish your mandala and photograph it we go to the edge of the field and we throw everything back into the field and say a little little gratitude a little you know peace 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 shanti 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 and be thankful for nature and what it gave to us in that short period of time and all we take away is that photo and that wonderful experience how incredible. It's amazing to me that people are, um, for people who don't live on farms, even spending a couple of hours on a farm is so impactful and um, eye-opening for people. They really don't want to leave. Exactly. Um, and I, I was just at a lavender festival in Massachusetts and people came from Boston and they paid admission yeah. to come to a farm and walk around. Right. Which... Um, I live on a farm, you live on a yeah, farm. Yeah, we so take sometimes it for granted. We do take for granted, and I really try not to. I try to spend at least, you know, even while I'm feeding the goats, appreciating something that's beautiful yeah. or new mm-hmm. or a bird's nest right. or, or something like that. Yep. But it is amazing the power of place yes. um, that, that farms provide. And I think it taps into people's imagination about country life. Uh, I think the farm coast is one of the most special places I have ever lived in it my is. life because you really do have ocean, seabirds, mm-hmm. and incredibly fertile soil, yeah. and uh, it, it really is fantastic. Yeah. Do people ever have sort of unexpected emotions when they come and do this work? I oh, yes. Yep. I've had a few people come that are, you can you tell when they get there, their arms are folded, uh, they're looking down, they do not want to be here, they don't want to be part of this, they don't know what it is, and they're just digging their heels right in. Mm. And I have to say, you know, there's all this space here for you, just take what you need. If it's a lot, if it's a little, and then you can see them sort of loosening up during the afternoon. We have a swing, so I put them on the swing. Uh, and when was the last time you were on a swing? That's incredible. Um, and by the end of the afternoon, they've sort of loosened up, and you can see that the facial expression is they're not so stressed. And by the, by the end, or the whole card ride home, they're just chatty-chatty, and it sort of cracks something open that um, maybe they were looking for and they didn't know they needed yeah. or were in subconsciously in search for it but didn't know how to get it. So it, this might just be a, a, a vessel to get them to where they need to go. Um, a little bit of creative expression and, of course, nature, you know, nature's calming and the, the farm's beautiful. Yeah, so it is. And I think that, too, the idea that it is impermanent, the, the mandala that is created is impermanent, yeah. is such an important lesson because you're doing it for, well, you can, of course, keep your photo, 
you are participating in an experience. Um, there's a great expression, and I think it's a Japanese expression, once in a lifetime, never again. And it's this idea that you are creating mm-hmm. something at that moment and you are participating for the intrinsic value of creating. Exactly. You're not keeping the materials. You didn't buy the materials. It's, it is the anti-consumerism, yeah, right? Yeah, like all my inventory is free. Yeah. And it changes every day. Like if you let an artist go into an art store and said, you can have anything in this store for free, take it. You know their their mind would explode because you, it's there's so much abundance here on the farm, summer, winter, spring, and fall. Amazing, and yeah. then you just give it all back, and then you give it, and that's tough. Yeah. I've had a few. Uh, there's one that's like the bestseller. It's all lamb's ear with a little bit of lavender in it, and I sat with it for about an hour because I didn't want to leave it, but I couldn't keep it. And as the breeze came through and sort of tumbled the leaves away, I was like, okay, it's being taken away from me, and I said my thank you, but. It's hard to, once you've created something that you really love and you put your time and energy into it, to let it go. That's hard. Yeah. So. Well, I guess that it, that's a, a Buddhist principle, right? Is letting exactly. go is so yep. important. Yep. And, um, and we should question all of our attachments since nothing here is, um, is forever. I'm right. getting so deep. But it really is amazing. <laughs> it and is I can deep. imagine it's a, it's a transformative experience. Yes. So what other events do you host on the farm? Um, we've done in the past uh, cacao ceremonies with my friend Nola Ganim, One World Cacao. Um, we've had fire ceremonies with my friend Wolf Moon Eduardo. What is a fire ceremony? Uh, we He does a lot of fire scrying, which he sort of reads the fire. Um, and we do an intention box. You write out your intentions, something you want to bring into your life or give away. We put him in that box, and that box goes on the fire, and that is released into ashes, into the air, and into the universe. Is it a nighttime? Yeah, it's oh, a nighttime. How cool yeah, is that? and uh, one we had last season. It was during a full moon. It was a beautiful night. You could hear the crickets, the fireflies, and even the coyotes were sort of hooting and hollering in the back. And everybody at the event was just floored. Yeah, because it was just the whole experience. The whole Again, thing. This experience of being at the farm and with uh, with friends, new friends. Um, celebrating like a full moon it's been great so uh, what is it like to share your space though i i know my home is a sanctuary it really is the place where i can decompress and um your home is that but you're also sharing it with strangers who who are going to come what's that experience like for you uh at the beginning it was a little tough you know you wanted to be the good host and make sure everything was pretty and everybody was taken care of and you know the, the grass was mowed uh, but now the people who are coming to these events are like-minded people, very respectful, uh, very appreciative. So uh, it's it's been easier and easier. You take the pressure off yourself. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, right. and I guess the joy, too, in uh, seeing their joy get ignited by just being right. able to share right. your life makes you appreciate where you live yeah. even more. I'm lucky that they're wowed by the view and the swing and not that I haven't weeded the garden. Right. So, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's not really important. <laughs> Exactly. Um, So I want to move to discussing your art in particular and how your own eco art has evolved over the years, sort of where it started and where it is now and the different media that you work in. Yeah. So in the beginning, I just started making these mandalas for myself wasn't even posting them, uh, wasn't sharing with anybody. and, And friends were like, people need to see these. And I'm like, well, it's kind of a personal thing. And Uh, I started posting and I was getting a good response and a lot of comments and how do I do this? So I just 
just started doing more. I started doing posts. Um, I st- my uh, my sister worked at a print house, and she said, "Give me the image. I'll put it on a card." And I was like, "Okay, you know, whatever." So the cards came back, and they were gorgeous, and I was kind of impressed with myself. <laughs> uh, so I started going to local stores, and I joined the, a couple of local, the Westport Farmer's Market and the Newport Vineyards Farmer's Market, the Equidnet Grower's Market, actually. And showing my cards, I started doing, uh, uh, like, lunchbox cards, like little gift cards. Mm. Um, I print on aluminum panels. I have ornaments, so I've sort of increased my gift line over the last couple of years to incorporate uh, low-end products, high-end products. Um, I've had a few gallery shows with all my aluminum pieces and made some, sort of demoed the mandala right there so people can see what what it is. Oh, so you've actually made one there? Yeah, right, made one there, yeah. So very experiential. Mm -hmm. Yep. Last year, I was on the South Coast Artist Tour uh, opened up my studio for the barn studio for the first time and got a lot of good response and people were coming through and they could see my mandala workshop and the barn in its place so they, they would get the whole combination. Um, so now I'm in about 16 different stores. Um, I have a brand new website that I'm working on. Excellent. Um, it is com. Excellent. And the the schedule of classes is on there, but there's only two products, so I'm I'm working on it. It's, okay, good. It's, uh, and that's where people can find your workshops. On exactly. The yep. Excellent. Yep. A little bit about me and. Uh, and if they are interested in getting some portraits for their pets or high schoolers, can they also just contact you through the website? Yep. Yep. My my name, my number, my cell number, and my email is on there. Um, I'm also on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Pinterest, I'm, you know. And I really encourage our listeners to check out um, the photos on Instagram because I think it's, can I say there's a mandala every day, almost? Almost, yeah, almost every day. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And um, sometimes I screen capture them because they're I'm, like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with <laughs> right, that photo on right, my phone. Right. Um, but then I do buy the cards. My next big adventure is to put a book together, like a coffee table book, so that they're all, you can see the progression of year to year, season to season, um, and where I've been. Because I could tell you every mandala where I was making it. Oh, and so it's it's like a little time capsule of that farm. Yeah. So yeah. do you ever travel other places? Yes. Because that would be cool, yep. right? Yep. I've done a workshop down in Belize. Um, I've done a workshop in West Palm Beach at uh, this great warehouse store model called Elizabeth Ave Station. Um, they've been fantastic down there. Yeah. Incredible. So um, I want to ask you this last, well, I say the last question, but um, we've talked about a lot of different identities that you occupy. You organize workshops, you are an artist, you are an entrepreneur because that's involved yeah. in selling your art and also providing experiences for other people. You do portrait photography. You have left the world of nine to five working for somebody else. And this podcast is about women who dared. And we've had personal conversations, yeah. right, about this yeah. whole journey. I'm hustling. And you are. We're all hustling. And I would love you to share what the greatest gift of that is and also the greatest challenge. Uh, that's, that's a tough question. Um, and it's, I've, I've been on my own for about two years. And it took a while to kind of let go of that nine-to-five corporate grind. You know, I'm working for the man to 
realize that everything I'm doing every day is all for this entrepreneurial person who is Meredith. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still sort of getting into my identity. I do a lot of things because I, I am, I'm, I'm a dynamic person. I do a lot of things and it's frustrating to every day put on a different hat, but that's also what's really interesting. So every day is different. I'm traveling to different places, meeting different people and my personal, emotional, mental health has grown exponentially over the last two years, and, and that's been exciting to see how I've grown. Mm-hmm. And, From all those connections that you're making every day. most importantly, I have to take my own advice, is slow down, be mindful, look inwards, and really appreciate how far I've come in the last couple of years. And the people that I've met, like you, Barbara. Oh, well, thank you. These uh, strong entrepreneurial women who just want something better and different for themselves, and we're doing it. Yeah, it's so, so true. Exactly. And I think that there is that, um, it's so wide open that we we end up saying yes to everything, every opportunity that can further our creative spirit or lift others up or collaborate or help our work make an impact on other people. But then you also have to pump the brakes on saying yes to everything because you end up kind of doing everything and you have to take that time to focus on, let me think about this direction in a more intentional way. Um, Because at the beginning you're so excited. No, I'm at a buffet and I'm like, exactly, yeah. And then sometimes you go, oh my gosh, I've been working straight for 18 days and I haven't said no and look at my calendar and people I think in our old lives are like what do you mean you're busy and uh it's it's really yeah fascinating it's fascinating it's been quite an experience and it's just the beginning um and I'm really excited to see where this goes Uh, you know I just turned 50 I've got my mom's 87 she could live till 100 I've got another 50 years to go yeah what am I gonna do with those 50 years knowing what I know now yeah. So it's totally it's exciting. So exciting. Yeah, it's totally. so exciting. Well, Meredith, thank you so much for being here today. What a joy to get to know you just another layer every time we get together. It's just a delight. So thanks for being here and thanks to all of our listeners. And we will see you next time on Makerspace. That's this week's episode of Makerspace. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.